you know what I'm gonna do? I'm actually gonna restart the podcast. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do a restart. Yeah, that was a little weak. Call Mulligan. All right, Mulligan. What would be really funny is if you kept this part in for the actual start of the episode. And then you play the theme song a second time. (laughs) Yeah, so go for it right now. All right. It stays in. It's not going to stay in. run into the ground we're back another episode coming back to you another fantastic guest we got member of the band by surprise we got the promotions director of polyvinyl records and a good friend to one and all rob wilcox how you doing rob Hey, how you doing? I, I uh, love that this is the it's second, very nice to be here. This is the second episode that as soon we've had a bunch of time, like ten minutes of pre pod, and then as soon as we hit record, it's time to start shoveling food in your face. I mean, it's <laughs> let me, it's let me wait. It's it's not out of disrespect. Um, ever since I was a little kid, <laughs> your mom, father took you to the black parade, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, By the way, we, I'm here too. We yes, know you're here. It's, it's it's implied that you're here. Um, so if so, if you can see what I'm holding in my hand here, yeah, this forever. is something that I've been eating these things like like candy. Like there's no goddamn tomorrow. <laughs> you're holding up a Cadbury like cream egg. Years old. Very early yes. into the uh, the, the spring holiday Cadbury season. Cream eggs. Wow. <laughs> yeah, oh, he's man. got a couple huevos. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Cadbury cream huevos. I believe it's a uh, huevos to Easter. Okay, Ooh. all right. But yeah, it's uh it's funny that you just started eating them as soon as we started recording. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it, you know, it's it's my favorite time of year, not because I'm a practicing uh, man of religion. But um, because these little fuckers are on the market, and I I hoard them up. Um, but yeah, so listen, I've been on one, um, so I'm I'm just happy to see both of you. It's been a, been a minute, honestly. I know. Well, you moved you moved far far away to the the land of the mountains. Yeah. You're a mountain man now. Yep. Um, you, you do know. you do yeah. look like you shop at Filson now. Yeah, it's is it, is it because he does. Um, what's what's great is that it's Phil Philson light because I got this beanie for free. I got this shirt from J Crew, and I got this sweater from like an Army Navy store. Nice. So it is it is uh, an affordable version of one of those looks. I like that. Uh, the, yeah, the I, I forgot in your <laughs> intro. Also, you're you're a, a radio DJ as well now. Right. Oh yeah, that, that was show a dream. Was really great. That was a dream of mine as well. Uh, no shit. I mean, I have a degree in radio, and the closest I've ever come to using what? it. Yeah. <laughs> where? Wait, where were you a DJ? What? What? What college station were you? At? Oh, I mean, I I went to community college, so I was uh, I have an associates in radio broadcasting for Mercer County Community College. 
Uh, oh, the okay. radio station, their the radio station only like was broadcast on the campus, and everyone okay, great. hated me because <laughs> I oh, no. I would just play the most absurd hardcore that I could find and metal uh, that didn't have like was it, cuss words, you know. This, so I would was this I would like, first. I would like, I open say, my show with Dan Bassini. Yeah, kind. I mean, I'm. I I still dabble, but I would open my show with uh with Entombment of a Machine by Job for a Cowboy, <laughs> with the with the, the inhale screams and then the woman screaming at the top of her lungs and then the breakdown, <laughs> and uh, oh the security God. the security in the building uh would like turn it off in the student center because I had I had like the noon shift so everyone was in there eating lunch. And oh my god! They had to tell them that they weren't allowed to turn it off. <laughs> and when I knew I had a captive audience, I just cranked up the ignorant level. It was great. I was oh, playing like wow. We talked there's about it on really. The- there's two kinds of people in this world. There's Dan Vecini who's playing <laughs> like Discordance Axis. Oh yeah. And then there's Rob Wilcox who's probably playing uh, Sufjan Stevens. Yeah. I mean, I would open up the this like snow patrol. This would be the beginning of my radio oh. show, and then it would just like this is terrible. This part. why would you do this to me? Black. <laughs> I hate this is happening to me right I now. I love it. Yeah, just yeah, it was great. We talked about it on the hot damn episode, but I'd listen to like I put on like floater and shit. It was so good. And, and like I said, when I knew people hated it and also couldn't do anything about it, I just became insufferable. <laughs> I've become the person I am today. <laughs> <laughs> Which everyone loves. I mean, and here's for here's for uh realizing your full potential early in life. I'm, <laughs> most people don't find it until they're in their forties. So true. Cheers. But yeah, the uh, but yeah, no, your radio station. Dan Bassini, uh, colon, annoying man. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the most I've done with my with my radio degree has been like a podcast, <laughs> editing a podcast. But it feels good to like be editing audio and stuff again for the first time in like over a decade. Is podcast how the uh, Steve Brule pronounces it? Yes. <laughs> Check it out. But yeah, Let's so it it's cool that Man, you were able to like down. move up there and start your own, like you know, get your own little radio show up there. I when I was yeah. up in the Catskills, I tried to listen to it and I could not. I was yeah, like, you know, our, over the our line. service area. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, I was. I guess I was closer. I was in so Beacon, far. and it didn't quite. What, make Rob? It that far. What do you think your listenership is like? Terrestrial. Uh, uh, when it's my show, uh, I think, I think somewhere between 50 and a hundred. Nice. So tell me about how this, what's the radio station again? Uh, it's a small community radio station called W I O X. Okay. So you said it's community funded. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. In a way it's in a way. You know, community stations do receive public funding, right? But um, we are also classified, I believe, as a educational nonprofit, right? Which means that if we can, if we can, you know, basically say that we provide educational services, which we do because we have like 
shows where local, you know, tree guys, arborists come on and just talk about trees, you know? So like, and you know, there's shows that are dedicated to like different voices or indigenous voices and, you know, music from different corners of the globe. Um, you know, some of these radio shows are just like old school country music. Okay. So it's like a histor- history lesson. So anyway, because is, yeah. who is your program director out of their mind? Uh, actually, what's funny, like in a in the best way possible, but like that's an insane thing to have it's to do. So, yeah, it's a it's a massive undertaking. The guy, the program director, is a guy named Mike, and he's real sweet. Um, lifelong Mets fan, lived in New York until the eighties or so, and then just got the hell out and eh, it might've been the nineties and then got the hell out, retired from working in publishing and decided to work at a radio station because, or volunteer at a radio station because the last time they had done it was when they were in college. Um, and so, yeah, so he, he met with the owner of the station who is a former Nickelodeon exec, um, actually the founder, the, one of the co-founders of Nickelodeon. And so, um, and, and this guy loves radio too, and worked at a station called WPIX from 1978 to 81. It was right in the catalyst moment of New York city when punk was exploding. And this guy who now owns the radio station was like interviewing Lou Reed and fucking Maggie pop and the Ramones. Like, so it's, it, I've always loved radio. It's a huge part of who I am and what I do at polyvinyl and whatnot. So it's, uh, I, I nerd out about this shit. I just went on way too long. <laughs> no, that's amazing. So I love it. You never get to see behind that curtain, right? Right. Like I um I grew up Mount Laurel was inside the broadcast area, which is pretty big, I guess, for Princeton Radio. WPRB. And, right, WPRB. Um, and their programming was just so insane like i every sunday morning there was a a program of all indian music it was amazing oh there'd um, be some wild stuff coming out of that Princeton radio station right like and, so much then, variety like, every of stuff. every once in a while midday you'd catch a get up kids song and it would be like <laughs> how how is the world this huge tapestry yeah well i mean right. that was that and it's was like the, the point thing. of exposure yeah right and but like who is who's the cat wrangler at the middle of that like mass genius yeah who's well, like mean, pulling all those strings i mean living in jersey city now i mean i'm in wfmu country which is mm-hmm. you know the premier independent radio like alternative indie indie radio station in the country the country yeah wait and, yeah it's more than a um kexp it's fmu from a community standpoint and like just wild fucking variety fmu is like yeah and also not to mention being right you know like basically on the edge of manhattan you know it's the listenership is so much and yeah huge exposure yeah um but you know it's like KEXP from a musical, purely musical driven diversity and like remaining cutting edge, which I think is like kind of like a Seattle thing. I know that that's what they, they do best. 
Yeah. Rob, well, let the, me ask you a let me ask you a very serious question. Yeah. This is a question about NPR. Okay. You got to be a fan. Love well, that's NPR. Your, that's your industry. That's yeah. like t- top shelf of yeah, the industry. I, um. I, in terms of like prestige, right? NPR is the most prestigious public media service, right up there with PBS, and you know, like NPR. They're of that whole set. Like they are national, right. where you know, stations in all states, all fifty states, um, maybe Hawaii too. But um, here's but here's my question. Yeah, they get carried on all these syndicated uh, syndicated right. programming. They're everywhere. When you think about like the cultural impact that NPR has oh, among like across a huge demographic, you know, it's, yeah, you're right. Like what? I don't know. Give me your radio take on that. Like just the scope of that. Right. Okay. So. I'm eating a Cadbury um, <laughs> I mean, you gotta. And I'm drinking a Heineken Double Zero. Yeah, we got. We can get the Bev check in here real quick. Oh, you got yeah. Yeah, Heineken Double Zero. We... You got a Lime Arita. <laughs> what the fuck? I got a Lime Arita. <laughs> yeah, Lime-arita. you're in party mode. I, I don't think anyone's yeah. ever worn a cow neck cardigan while drinking a Lime Arita. I think you're a pioneer. While while also Beautiful. wearing a Page Ninety Nine shirt. <laughs> That's incredibly on brand for you. This is yeah. two um, sizes too small, by the way. Dan the man, what are you drinking? Uh, I got a Cape May Brewing oh, ties oh. the room together white stout, which is shockingly That's, pretty good. Oh, uh, is there a rug on that label? There, there is. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> grossly so uh, Big Lebowski esque, oh, but man. it was what they had at a tiny liquor store next to where I get my haircut in Keyport. So. Hey man, I'm not here to talk shit on Big Lebowski. I, I wrote my college thesis on it. Uh, that's that's a whole other podcast. I'm sorry, you. Uh, yeah, but uh, but yeah, yeah no, it, was, it was my film studies thesis. But um, okay, so anyway, back to NPR. Yeah. yeah, sure. So you know the problem that's been happening with NPR. <laughs> Too liberal. I've been they're, saying they're, this. They're so, they're so <laughs> honest. No, I'm just going to say it. So, like, NPR is just so honest and factual with their reporting that there are certain people in this country that feel that it is alien to them, that it is not legitimate, you know? Um, and those are the kind of people that are a threat to NPR because, you know, they're the kind of people to say, we don't want this kind of stuff broadcasting in our town. And it, it hurts community npr is like in a way the community radio station for the country and a lot of what they do is based on the human experience of of um culture comedy news um world reporting you know insightful audio documentaries um you know what npr offers as a whole is massively influential and in the music space they are the gold seal of approval um and it's not that it all just falls to bob boylan bob boylan's cool but there's a big staff of people there who 
Um, and maybe they might not be as big as they once were just because of the state of media right now, but like fiercely dedicated and varied in their tastes of music. And it makes, it makes NPR music, which is its official title. So fucking rad. Yeah. Um, you know, and they really touch on all bits. Like I, every Friday morning I wake up and I check out what the all songs considered podcast has this week. You know, and it's all brand new music for that week. So, and that's kind of how I do my radio show. I I observe what's happening in press for my job um, at Polyvinyl, but then that leads to me being exposed to new music um, from different sources and different outlets. And it's a way for me to stay engaged in music on a personal level because I'm engaged with music as a daily job. Um, which, you know, it's a career. It's, it's a passion. I love polyvinyl. It's my favorite label of all time, though they didn't release the album I'm here to talk about, but (laughs) I, but it's what I love doing. I love just playing new music for people and talking about music that excites you and, and, and makes you feel something. Um, and I try to bring a varied approach to it on my radio show. It's called peak awareness. And it's I mean, like a two hour radio show. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I, I definitely notice it as I get older. It's so, it's like hard and hard, like harder and harder to find new bands again and to oh my kind God. of be aware of stuff coming out. And it, it's very like word of mouth. And I, I, you know, I follow people like Ian Cohen and Dan Ozzy and people like that who are kind of on the pulse of a lot of new stuff. And I find stuff through them that they recommend because it's kind of like a, you know, you follow them with a specific taste. And it's like, oh, if it fits through their radar, you know, it's worth checking out, you know? So I think it's definitely hard. Cause, I mean, that's your job is doing the kind of research that gets these bands in front of people, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, like music journalists are the millennial version of the 50s, the boomer DJ, like the tastemaker. Because yep. that doesn't exist, you know. There's a job. You worked at Syndicate, right? Yeah, I worked at Syndicate from 2010 uh, to 2014-ish. Did you did you cross over with the, with recent guest Joe Morrow at all? No. Um, I, I forgot he worked at the Syndicate, Joe. too. Right, yeah, and because that's Joe, yeah. I, I remember him telling me he had gotten a job at the, at the syndicate, and his job having to do with curating playlists, like getting yep. songs on curated playlists, and it blew my mind, and also was like a huge aha moment about where we were and how people were getting their media. That was just like, of course that exists, like of course that makes sense with like where we all are right now. And I don't, you know, I don't know what, there's a current version of that that's, you know, past trying to get on Spotify playlists. Like, I don't even know what that is now. Yeah. Did you ever work with uh, a wild ride? Did you ever work with Bram at all? Bram Tuttleman? Yeah. Yeah. I love him. He's incredible. How many many Brams are there? What was that? He's at 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 Napalm now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, going to say, it's funny, because Bram is another Jersey City friend. I have a very funny story that ties all that stuff together, too. Uh, I was in Pet Shop one night. This is like a couple years ago now, in the in the wine bar downstairs. And I'm sitting there, and fucking American Football walks in. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, I'm like, oh, shit, Mike. 
And he, he turns to me and just goes, do I know you? <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I go, uh, no, but like, we know all of the same people. Uh, I was like, yeah, my buddy, you know, uh, Mitchell. And then, uh, I was like, yeah, my buddy Rob works at polyvinyl. And he's like, oh, how do you know Rob? And I said, Oh yeah, me and me and him came up in the South Jersey ska scene together. <laughs> and he goes <laughs> And he goes, Maybe you shouldn't maybe you shouldn't tell people that. <laughs> oh my god. You're I never I don't think I knew this. I don't, th- I don't think I knew this story. That's mm. fucking amazing. I've been waiting like three years to tell it to you on the podcast that didn't exist yet. <sighs> yeah, he's, oh maybe maybe you shouldn't tell people that. <laughs> that is that is the most Mike thing that Mike could oh, say. It was yeah, a thousand percent expected for sure. But yeah, it is, it's funny like growing up going to fucking squirt gun riot shows and seeing Ooh, the dissenters yeah. back in the day. I remember the dissenters. Um yeah, South Jersey ska scene was different. We had like SGR from Philly. Well, that that's from, on Riot. They were a chair. SGR oh, yeah, Squirk on Riot. Smoking no, glass, Smoking Glass Richard. Really? Yeah, Sean's Sean's girlfriend reeks. <laughs> Maybe they. Ju- I think they just went by SGR and told different people it meant different things. I if oh, you would have told me. 20 years ago that I'd still be talking about SGR, <laughs> I would have just done myself a favor and blown my fucking head off. They were, they were, this the, is big insane. Thir- they were the big third wave ska band of South Jersey. <sighs> they they were. were the first ones, they were first ones to open for the Boss Tones, the first ones to open for Real Big Fish on a local scale, which at that time, like, if you were a ska band, even if it was 1999, you were still raking it in, like, those shows you know what, were do you know what sick. always bothered me about ska? What's is that? that it, it made the wrong kids cool. This isn't just my bully well, uh, well, coming thank, out. No, no, no. I was going to say, thank God, because I'm, I'm not cool. <laughs> no. no, you're very cool. But, like, I remember going to shows and seeing uh, swing kids, not mm. the, not the uh, screamo band. No, I, um, my older, you know, my older sister, Chris, I know your older sister, you were friends in high school. She, um, it's, I'm just saying that for context for the podcast. Uh, (laughs) Sweet brag. Confirmation. (laughs) Yes. Are you recording? Did you hit record yet? Um, but no, my, uh, no, my sister had a swing kids flyer on her bedroom wall. I bet she did. And, And that's how I found out about a lot of these local New Jersey ska bands sgr big fat huge um the swing kids swing kids kids did that split cd with p.o box that would always be in the used section at tunes oh (laughs) they had to impress (laughs) every you know it's insane i was thinking about this i think because there was that there was there was a comp that somebody had put out that they had pressed like two thousand cds in a place that only like 200 people would have ever bought them and like you would go through that and it would be like okay 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 and a bunch of like temperance records it was releases. just different back then super oh different i was texting you last night about a record that you don't care about that was an early equal vision record Sounds by about a right. band called 
called Prima, and they were a South Jersey band, and South Jersey was just built different. What's I mean, oh my, gosh. my band technically was a South Jersey band because that's just where we played the huh. most, you know? Where were you from? I'm from What Hamilton. side of 195 were you from? <laughs> the Gosh. side near Trenton, <laughs> Princeton area. Yeah, well, then you're not from... I, why <laughs> oh, I know. I'm riding I'm, so hard for South Jersey right now? I'm Central Guitar Jersey for life. You're ganging up on me with Rob, that's why. I'm you Central Jersey I'm gonna till tell death. you something. We, we are, are, like we are the only friends cafe? we have. <laughs> We're not transitioning yet. <laughs> I like this. I like this gimmick for you, though, Andrew. It's, Dan. it's everyone's going to be waiting for everyone. Take a shot when Andrew tries to transition the podcast. You know what? I'll, you know what I'll say to them when life hands you lemons. <laughs> wrong, wrong album. You, when uh, life hands you lemons, you drink a Brooklyn special effect hoppy amber non-alcoholic oh, beverage from Brooklyn Energy Company. Yo, cheers to that. <laughs> but yeah, Bing I'm bong. Uh, so fucking Yeah, the uh I love Oh, I wanted to get back actually to the syndicate because I'm I'm mm. I'm shocked to find out that you're zooming in a room that doesn't have your platinum record behind you. I mean <laughs> uh <-oh. laughs> he's taking us on a room tour. Uh what what platinum record are we saying? Oh, there it is. M83. Midnight City. I, wow. I do love that you... I, like, brag to people that I knew someone who had a platinum record that they didn't, like, purchase <laughs> somewhere, like, years ago. Because it's, a fucking, it's even, a fucking cool the, thing. The fact that I even have one is... It, I, never, I just never should have happened. Like, the people who have platinum records are long-tenured veterans of the music industry, well, like the highest hot of highest and like legendary publicists and like the band members themselves. And it's getting so rare. Well, that's the like, thing. Like no the one's day, going platinum anymore, you know? So the fact that not only that, I, and I would say that you're up there with legendary publicists. Cause you, you didn't, they didn't just give that to you for nothing, you know? So like expand on that. I, I think it's a great story. Oh God. Okay. So, um, <laughs> embrace it it's uh, fucking cool yeah i try to avoid it because it makes it i i worry that people just think uh whatever that you're so, good at your job uh, like what the fuck <laughs> it's it's, i'm like that's how my anxiety works i've always shot myself down yeah it's like oh um, shit i guess so, i got an oscar but like i hate talking about it <laughs> oh my okay well see that's the thing i'm not i'm not obnoxious not not highfalutin. Well, then but, you're okay, on the so, wrong podcast, uh, my friend. <laughs> oh, great. As we established early on. Shit. All right. Okay. So I, um, yeah, the syndicate and maybe three. Um, so I got hired to do college radio promotions and um, specialty radio show promo when I first started working with the syndicate. Specialty radio shows are the new music shows that air on like a Sunday night on an alternative rock station. Um, and like in my second year there, I started to get pretty good at what I was doing. I was at this point just focusing on those new music shows. And um, I ended up finding out that we were going to be working the new M83 record. And I had been a really big fan of 
Oh, what's the album right beforehand? Um, Saturday Saturdays equals youth from um, 2008. And that was the time that was around the time that I was DJing at uh, XPN in Philadelphia. Under that, the was, that was the record with we, we Own the Sky, right? Yep. And Kim and Jesse, which yeah, is that's like fucking a rips. phenomenal song. So anyway, so I'm at the syndicate and I find out that Butte has hired us to do the new M83 record. And the guy who hired us, the guy who's basically like the version of my job, how it is a polyvinyl, this guy named Justin Spindler, who now manages Nation of Language, he and Junior Junior. And he ended up just being like, hey, Rob, so you want to do specialty for this record? Um, and I said, sure. And I just kind of walked into a shit storm that, you know, like M83, you know, like it was cool and people played it on these, on these new music programs, but very rarely does the music that gets played on a new music program, jump the curb and grow a story with the main program directors of these radio stations who are responsible for deciding what songs get played in rotation. <gasps> <Take another sip. laughs> so, yeah i know right eat another just, eat like, another jim, egg jim carrey moment so anyway <laughs> basically what happens is a, a couple different things happen um m83 whoever did their sync was a genius and um ended up securing a sync for them for uh, Midnight City in a Victoria's Secret commercial, and I think it was a Super Bowl commercial too. Oh shit! <laughs> and, but but what happened? But what happened several months prior was I was talking to a radio programmer in San Francisco um, and a radio programmer in Philadelphia concurrently. The person in Philadelphia. Uh, is awesome her name is wendy rollins and she's now at wxpn um where i interned and she and i talked back and forth about the record and i was just like hey listen so there's something got to check out have you heard of last fm and oh, <laughs> I, and and so what i shout ended out up to my scrobblers out there this is what <laughs> happens I ended up observing the national charts, the national numbers of Last FM because they used to publish that stuff on the website. Right. And in the pop rock category, M83 was a couple thousand listeners above or concur or, or underneath Adele. Rumor has it. <laughs> Jesus. That's and 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 at this point, everyone was adding Adele, I can't remember what label she's on, but like, or at least was at that time, but like, you know, everyone was doing it. And it was like one of those moments where it was like, it was kind of like when like Dido, you know, had that moment on alternative radio. So anyway, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so anyway, so, so she's like, this is really interesting information. Thank you for sharing this with me want to talk to the program director about this. And at the same exact time, I shared that information with a guy named Aaron Axelson, who was music director at Live 105 in San Francisco. And they were one of the most prestigious, long-running alternative rock stations in the country until about two years ago. 
And basically what happened was one day I was sitting at my desk end of the work day. I'd been working on a maybe three for maybe four or five weeks at this point. And I'll never forget it. Got an email in my inbox at like 4.53. You know, it was earlier in the day on the West Coast, but I was getting ready to leave work. Um, and it was an email from this Aaron Axelson guy. And he was just like, congratulations, Rob. We're adding M83's Midnight City into rotation. You've done a tremendous job sharing sharing the information with me from the get-go. Who's in charge? Who's in charge of this record at mute? Is it Justin? I'll let him know as well. And Aaron Napselson added it. Philadelphia added it one or two weeks later. And it just like, it was like burning a fucking piece of newspaper. And it just, it made its way across the country. Um, and, you know, like by the time that Victoria's Secret commercial hit, it just like reached sonic boom status. And the song was fucking huge. Oh yeah, and that this song was, was everywhere. It was unavoidable exactly. for, for a long ass time. Yeah, and and not to go on too long about it, but basically what had happened around the same exact time that the song was blowing up was Billboard, the charting institution, made a introduced a new rule that streams and uh not streams, but digital downloads from like the iTunes store would count would now officially count towards the really the singles chart. And that was huge. And, Midnight City went platinum overnight yeah, because of that being rolled out. And and anyway, so um Put, everything was a smash. Did did a lot of artists go platinum because of that? Mm. Good question. What else was hitting around that time? It was probably well, you mentioned Adele. Yeah, M83 Midnight. Man, God, I love this song still. Um yeah, so it was like 2012 or something like that, I think. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure there was a ton of stuff that went platinum around that time. You know, you think about all the things that were cresting at that time, like Arcade mm. Fire and Arctic mm. Monkeys. Um, yeah, like, yeah, there's, it was 2011. Okay. 2011, um, which is crazy because I was only two years into working at the syndicate at that point. That's incredible. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's my story of getting a platinum record. I love it. Um, long story. Yeah. Long story short, the guy from Mute came to our office and was just like, "I want to give this to the company," and he presents one to the, to the owner of the company. Oh shit! And then and then he says, "And I want to present this one to you, Rob." And he walked over to me and gave me a fucking platinum record. And I oh, so they were just cried. handing them out. Oh man, I'm crying right now. <laughs> that's insane. That's like. <sighs> I had no idea. It was great. I love it. Thanks for telling us. <laughs> no so, uh, one last thing I want to touch on before, and I'm curious what your takes are on all this. Uh, some, some, a little bit of current events. Um, so, did you guys see the the Mis- the Mitski phone tweet discourse that was oh, going on? Yes. <laughs> no, what's going on? Oh, Daniel. Uh, actually, Andrew's the one who sent this to me. So, I hey, the, bestie. I have the thing you you posted. Uh, so Mitski, it's now deleted. So she's like currently about to go out on on the her album cycle tour with like, isn't she like touring with someone huge? 
Like it's fucked up who um, she's touring with. I forget. Oh, um, I, oh, I think she's I she's opening for Harry Styles. Like insane. Oh yeah, shit. that's wow, it. That's, yeah, yeah. I mean, bananas. Laurel Hell is a huge record. Yeah, I I remember hearing your best American girl on like my dad's serious radio and being like, "What the fuck? This song is incredible!" <laughs> like years ago. And uh, but yeah, so she posted a thing like about the tour and it on Twitter because she's been like she took like time off from touring because she was just so overwhelmed with like everyone. I remember treating yeah. her like they're her best friend and like yep. understanding everything. And, uh, yeah, mentally, like, that's got to take an insane toll. Um, yeah. But she goes, it says, a note for Mitski. Hello, I wanted to speak with you about phones at the shows. They're part of our reality, and I have mine on me at all times, and I'm not against taking photos at shows, though please no flash. And then it continues on saying, like, hey, but when everyone is just, like, videoing the entire set, I feel like we're not connected. Which like is like we're something, not all in the same room together, right? Exactly, and I, that's something I feel all the time as like even like a wedding photographer. Like, there's people there who are literally just with their iPads taking video of everything, and I'm like, "Yo, that's like our job, you know? Like, that's my job as a photographer. That's the videographer's job. Like, we're gonna do it better than you, and you should like the importance of being in the moment. It's something that is very important. I try to tell people that when I'm like, hey, like put your phone away, like you'll appreciate it more in your head. Right. Than and on I'll your do phone. it better than you. Yeah. And uh and, and that's something like it's always good to and she did it the right way by like not just saying no phones allowed. She's like, hey, here's the reason why you should experience this rather than yeah but like have it wasn't a it wasn't a don't do this it was a like have hey, you thought about what exactly. everybody else might think of this yeah or right. even what she feels as a performer on stage performing to the like people's phones you know sure and uh i thought i thought it was handled very well um in terms of how she worded it and how she like made a request rather than like a law Un until oh until everyone started treating her like they're her best friend again literally and someone someone responded and said bestie that's great and all but some of us have mental health issues that cause disassociation and i filmed to remember the moment i'm not looking at my phone the entire time just to press record so people are saying i remember that and that was so that was super heavy well people are now they're saying like oh it's actually like Oh, I'm trying to think of like the word, but it's like, I don't like they're, they're, people are using it as, as like an excuse to do it because of like a disability. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's, it's very weird territory. So, so here's an, and I, I tread very lightly here for a lot that's of reasons. That's what I'm saying. But, it's, it's an interesting topic. That's, but, it's a modern problem for sure. It's such it's such a massive spectrum of ideas here. Yeah. Where no one is wrong. Kind of. Correct. Um I mean if it's a if it's a performative statement, that's different. Everyone is valid in their rooted feelings and that what that's what makes people right when it comes right. to emotions felt. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh but it's it's also weird to I'm trying to think the best way to like describe it. But it, it's it's 
it's weird that it's like framed in that way of like oh actually like i'm taking video the whole time because that's right. the only way i can remember the performance uh it's it's very or, or worst case scenario somebody's co-opting mental illness for bad behavior that that is another thing and that's something that's really hard because it is like you have to it's it's wow. kind of like people who are just like oh if i just say my dog is a you know uh emotional support animal and i download this card from the internet i can like yo, take my dog on a plane yo and they all are emotional support animals <laughs> i like, really just thought about dogs i like to think that yeah, they my, adopted my cat me. is my emotional support animal but like, not not legally just you know it's like just a, a real thing yeah but you're you know, one you're one download card away from from having an emotional support cat you know yeah and so like that's that's the thing it's like it, it, there's you can't stop technology but you also can't argue that like this thing that i'm holding in my hand hasn't also like brought the world together in a way that can be powerful yeah, and sure. has divided us in a way that is damning of the next, you know, like self implosion. Um, right. and it's, it's just like, you know what it's like? It's like in 2001 space odyssey, when the monkeys see the monolith for the first time and they're just like in, in tranced by it. And they're just like, you know, like jumping right. up and down and screaming, like, what is this thing? And also being like, this is amazing. And sure. and getting in your brain expands like yeah. that's that's kind of what's I mean it, I mean the iPhone looks like a fucking monolith from 2001 Space it, Odyssey. It's the name of my so phone. like there you go. <laughs> but, monolith. Yeah. Did you, you ever the, see yeah, you got the uh, Samsung monolith? <laughs> well, did you ever see the uh, sequel to 2001? By the way, no, I haven't. Is it 2010? It's, it's, it is, and I yeah. I I low key love it. Huh. The, Not uh, on the same plane, well, but someone someone made like an interesting point, like attached to that, and it just said, "The phone which helped me lose will to pay attention to a concert for an hour is now the crutch I need in order to the, experience the concert at all." And I think that's a pretty heavy statement too, <laughs> you know, Jesus, just how we we become Jesus. so reliant on distractions that we need that to now make us pay attention. Yeah, and I mean, it's that's why I have like bad, terrible anxiety. Yeah, I mean, that that's something I learned uh, about, like, why I love shooting film. And it, I went on a road trip where I brought mostly film cameras, as I do, but I brought a little digital as well. And I was uh, out in the Badlands in South Dakota, and I was, like, taking pictures and, like, looking at the back of the camera, and I'm like, oh, you know, oh, like, my friend's blinking. Oh, she's not, her face is a little, you know, she doesn't like her face in this photo. Oh, the the horizon's a little crooked and we spent like two or three hours there. And I felt like I spent the entire time, my whole experience in the back of the camera, you know? And I really felt like I didn't yeah. experience it in person. So I'm like that for the rest of the trip, I'm just going to shoot film. And that's kind of like, I would get out of the car, like the grand Tetons and like pull my camera out of my pocket, click cameras back in my pocket. And I'm back in the real world. And it was like such a revelation of like how important it is to experience things through your eyes and your brain and recording these moments should be a secondary impulse because yeah it is wow. nice to revisit these things but how often do you actually revisit these things you know like how often do you go back and like 
watch your high school prom DVD. Like, you know. You had a high school prom DVD? We did. And, you wow. know, I think I watched it maybe once as a joke <laughs> with, like, a ex-girlfriend. And hey, should we somehow stream it so we can all watch <laughs> I, it? I can try to find it. It might exist somewhere. But I think I'm, I don't think I'm in it at all. I think I watched it for the first time with an ex and literally, like, could not find me. So, uh, mm. but yeah, so it's like, that's, that's something to really think about, but it is interesting now that that has become a crutch for people to be able to enjoy things, you know, it's, wow. it's, it's very yeah. interesting. So I, I, I wanted to get everyone's take on that and how it's, it like, I, I feel like it's going to make Mitski get off social media again <laughs> because there was, it wasn't just that one person who was like, this is my disability. You know, it's actually, um, you know, not fair to people with disabilities that you're asking, not even telling people, asking people not to video the entire set. She even said, like, pictures are okay. (laughs) And people were still like, this is an insane affront to, like, you're being insensitive. And I think it's, there is just a lot of, like, entitlement, you know? So... People think they have a right to take video of concerts or, you know, you know, where that, this that's like started. when people used to tell me I couldn't use flash at a concert when I was taking photos as like someone of the press. And, I, you know, that would be me being like, oh, well, actually, it's it's like, you know, my photos don't look as good if I don't use flash. And I need, you know, it's just I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. It's not a one to one equivalent, but it's what I could think of an experience. Yeah. You know, like, oh, actually, um, you're inhibiting my process, and it's my right of my process. So, are you aware of the Grateful Dead? They were a band from... Oh, I'm, I'm very familiar. So, are you talking they about used the, to have... The bootleg they culture. They used to have people... Yeah, they launched oh, a bootleg story. culture. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know the story, but... Oh, no, no. So, I, I, I work with a gallery in New York uh, that is that does uh it's fine art music photography and so they had um a fucking blank blanking on his name right now but he was someone who literally toured the country with the grateful dead doing photos and uh he was telling the story about how so obviously grateful dead bootleg culture is like up there with like fish bootlegs like you know people don't talk about albums they talk about concerts and dates and grateful dead was very much a part of that to the point where ever there was such a huge culture of trading live bootlegs that the band decided to not fight it and just embrace it to the point where they literally created a recording section of their crowd where there was like a section where people could go to set up like as like whatever sound recording equipment they wanted to set up as like you know hi-fi or lo-fi they wanted to and they're just like, oh, well, we'll just have all the bootleg bootleg uh, recorders. They can have their own section to the concert. Can you imagine how insufferable those dudes are? Mm, the worst, I'm sure. <laughs> but it, it is cool because uh, in a way, though, that, that really cemented their legacy. Because there's so wow. much recorded content now, you know? Wow. So we just covered a whole lot of ground. We, <laughs> we did. Uh, Andrew, it would you do the like honors? You- <laughs> Yeah, I I was thinking about one half that time. <laughs> I don't remember. But Rob, yeah, buddy, tell me tell me about Piebald. We are the only friends we have. Jesus Christ. Um, you you just 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 to say just to say real quick before say. we dive into this. 
Um, everything that you had to say there, Dan, was spot on and beautiful. Thank you. Um, and um, I will say, I think with Mitski, it doesn't it doesn't even fucking matter whether or not she leaves social media at this point because whether or not she intended to do it, she actually accomplished something pretty big by even putting it out there just because it actually started a conversation about the validity of all these different subtle nuances that make, you know, that make point of views so valid. I'm I'm glad you see it that way. Not not if we're talking about white nationalists. I mean, I I also agree that she accomplished her, her job by getting us to talk about it on this podcast specifically that's that's going to be huge for her (laughs) the run into the ground bump is going to be real on this next tour (laughs) oh my god (laughs) um (laughs) and you know if she leaves uh, if she leaves social media um all that's left is uh, we are the only friends that we're going to (laughs) have man Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Rob has walked off the podcast. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. You do keep walking around the room and I can tell you're like a professional zoomer because you're you're just you're just taking a walk with the with your AirPods just, in. You got I'm, the fucking I'm, fire, I'm, man. I'm really jealous of you living up in, in, in the Catskills. It really is. Your <clears throat> Instagram is like oh, so good. man, I wish I wish I was there with Rob. All right, all right. One last question before we dive into the record. What's your Phoenicia Diner order? Um huh. uh, I've only been a few times since moving here. I like the chicken sandwich though. Uh-huh. The yeah, the chicken the chicken sandwich is really really good fried, um, of course. But uh, yeah, yeah. So, so what we're talking about? <laughs> Have you had the buckwheat pancakes though? Uh, yeah, they're, I'm not a big actually, pancake no, fan. I- I didn't have the buckwheat ones. I had the buttermilk ones. Okay, I'm not a big pancake oh, fan, but these buckwheat pancakes were unbelievable. But yeah, nice. I got. I'll try them. Yeah. So, uh, it was recently the anniversary of this record, which is why I saw you post about it, and like you got to come on and talk about it. Oh my god! Well, thank it was you a twenty for the year, twenty year anniversary. Twenty years. That's um, fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah, We Are the Only Friends We Have was released uh, February 19th, 2002 on Big Wheel Recreation. Big Wheel Rec. I've always thought of Big Wheel Rec (laughs) sort of as like Boston's Jade Tree. Kind of, yeah, right? So, because like they're, you know, the, the way they went about design um oh yeah was like the same sort of cut from the same cloth as jay tree was so like jason jason Janukow from the right. promise rings art did he do these records too no right so i i want to hear everyone else's kind of origin story with this record but i have a, a vaguely interesting one of how i came across it and i i my first concert of all time i was seventh grade I guess it was like 2001 and I went to see uh, it was a bunch of bands pretty prolific lineup but it was River City High was the opener oh, it was this, this is at the Electric wow. Factory yes. River Holy City High shit. Um, 
RX Bandits on Progress. <gasps> um, oh my god, that's one of my favorite records. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Newfound Glory on Self Titled, which is the reason Stop. I was there. And H2O on their worst record of all time, Go. <laughs> so, crazy lineup. Uh, there was a guy I watched get dropped uh, and break his arm compound fracture-wise um, on a guard, like, crowd surf and got dropped on the guardrail. <gasps> and uh, then later, I forget his name, I later met him, like, <sighs> 15 years later. And we, like, somehow figured out that we were both at this concert. And I'm like, yeah, I remember this kid fucking broke his arm. And he's like, that was me! <laughs> <laughs> and that's also another fun fact that you guys might know and maybe no one else uh, will. Maybe the most regional-specific concert goer of all time. Guy in the Winnie the Pooh onesie at the concerts in Philly. Do you I remember? I come across this person. Bill. You know his name? <laughs> Bill. He was ubiquitous at uh, all he, these shows. He, 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 curly hair, kind of a scraggly beard. Yep, but he would um, always, he'd little, always a, li- a little bit, yeah. He'd always get the drumsticks. A little bit heftier. And he would yep. always be in a Winnie the Pooh like plush outfit. It was wow. wild. That would feel oh disgusting. I just, I just, I just, ima- I just imagined Bill in my mind for the first time <laughs> in probably 15 15 years holy yeah, shit he was he was at the shows he was at all of them but yeah, uh he's a yeah. jersey kid so uh, the reason i bring it up though was because i received a sampler from big wheel slash doghouse and it had three river city high songs and it had three oh piebald song demos from this record and for years i only knew what the demos sounded like and i remember because I, like, ripped them to my, like, iBook G4, like, whenever back in the day. And, uh... What, <laughs> Rob, what are you sending to us? Um, you're gonna... I mean, just keep going, but... Oh, shit! The, the split is on... Wow! You have the split saved on... On Spotify? I, um... That's I incredible. just built it... I just built it ten minutes ago... <laughs> While we were talking about the Mitski stuff, really? so you just had this on deck. <laughs> it's not even that. It's not even that. I went to Discogs to look up the actual track listing and and photos of it because this is how I found about Pi- about Piebald too. Oh my god, I love it! Wow. <laughs> well, so um, then okay, you know, so, and, and, and there's a common there's a commonality. There's even more commonalities here too. Okay, I got mine waiting in line at the Trocadero in Philadelphia to go see my very first club show. My very first club show. It was April 28th, 2000. Gray Area. Followed by Ensign. Followed by... (laughs) Followed by... Through Being Cool Saves the Day. Whoa. Followed by H2O. <laughs> Holy shit. And, and, I got, and I got the CD while waiting in line with, <laughs> with like, my, my bleached spiked hair. I'm, like, yeah. 17. Is it, was I 17 or was I 15? I was 15. And 
uh, fuck man like that's so wild no 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 i wasn't even 15 i was in like eighth grade seventh grade that's it that was like perfect time saint rosalina anyway like they had street crews there just handing out promo shit that's what they used to do at shows yeah Yeah, back in the and it it, it fucking worked you get paper (laughs) before instagram you would get a paper fucking flyer for a show or right. waiting in line or leaving a show at the Trocadero. Right. Yep. And like, that's what and that's what made people lifelong fans. Yeah, oh yeah. Absolutely. And, and that's how I got my when CD. someone when someone put there's bands that I don't I don't care about anymore. You know what I mean? But there's bands that'll always be a little bit more important than nobody's because you know, somebody once handed me the Honest Don's Welcome Wagon comp, or like, <laughs> you know, what's another like bullshit Honest comp? Was that was that Fat Wreck? Yeah, right. Yeah, like Shit. you know, Punkarama. Uh, Punk Punkarama. Oh, like, I love the Punkaramas. Rock, rock against Bush. <laughs> but, I mean, that was like the yeah the last of a great era. Yeah. Go on. So so yeah, like also anyway yeah. Oh no, I was just gonna say so. You also like it was jarring to then hear the real non demo versions of of like American Hearts. Absolutely, with, uh, it, which with I did all find. That production. I, I I scoured uh, Soul Seek uh, the other day to find the actual original sampler versions of those songs. Can you please send them to me? Oh, of course. Uh, I oh don't think. Ah, oh, fuck! I don't wow. have don't have spotify set up to or uh my itunes set up to this uh i can no, probably okay. in a second you but just, like you there is like for me over the phone yeah i was gonna play it on the pod but uh <laughs> I, I don't feel like uh but the, the there's like a different ending to american hearts like the guitar is different and they go into like a weird solo at that last kind of instrumental part and like that was burned into Wait, my head was for that, years was that the version that was on the rock revolution ep i don't know if i ever heard that because it's the it's a it's a different version. Is that the version that has all the extra shit on it? Uh, it's got some extra shit on it. Let me uh, vamp a little bit. I'll I'll get it. I'll get it set up. Oh man! Well, now that we're talking about all this shit, there's mine. I got it somewhere here. Do we, you have it on you? Yeah, here it is. Wow. And just and just for like frame of reference, like I've got this record playing in the background right now. <laughs> this is an original pressing. Um, and speaking of, you know, Big Wheel Recreation, this was River City High forgets their manners. Wow! And right here, baby, Big Wheel Recreation keeping the ten inch alive. Pieball, the rock revolution will Amazing. not be televised. That... This is this has a uh, um, David Lee Rock, one of my <laughs> all time favorite rock revolution and and rock revolution. Too. Rock revolution. They don't trust us at the academy. Oh all, yeah. Every song on that EP is like to me. That's peak era piebald totally realized as a band. Yeah. Oh my like, god. The songs are funny, but they're also. You know, the, a song about what Janis Joplin yeah. is like a tearjerker. It's such an insane era of I'll that say, band. Here, let's let's see if we can, can hear that. Yeah. yeah. And so then it goes into this, and it's 
Yeah, that's the version from the EP. Is it? Because this is yeah. the album. Is it? This no, is this the, is album. the album. Oh wait, wait, no, yes, you're is. right, Liz. That's okay. Isn't so now it? we can compare. This is the demo version. So yeah. Yeah. It's just like yeah. a little. It's a little slower, I think. The song. A little bit sloppy. A little bit sloppy here too. Flop, this was before they. This was before they linked up with um, Paul Q. Colderi, who produced the record. He is the guy that basically did all the Radiohead records. Oh, really? What? Wait, hold on. Did I just uh, did I just drop a big factoid? Yeah, I had. No <laughs> I didn't idea. know that either. <laughs> Okay, so the album was recorded at, I want to say, <sighs> Division Studios in Somerville, Mass. I, for some reason, I wanted to say it was Fort Apache. But it, the, okay, so it was produced by Paul Q. Colderi. I think he, Piebald recently shared, they've been doing all these great videos about the creations of the record um, and the songs and what they're all about. And he taught, and they talk about, the guy from Big Wheel Recreation gets interviewed for it. And he ends up saying like how Paul Key was like, no, I like this. I'll do it. And he did it for like $10,000 or something like that. And which, you know, is, you know, just a, a drop in the bucket compared to all the other records that he's made money off of, including, um, oh my gosh, uh, like he was Boston based. So, you know, Uncle Tupelo, Morphine, Buffalo Tom, the early shit from the Boston's, Belly, Lemonheads, wow. like, and then, and then all of a sudden, like, it, it jumps, and, like, he ends up getting, like, Warren Zevon. Oh, and, geez, like, that's wild. Um, and, like, yeah, specifically, like, Radiohead, Pablo Honey, um, Itch um like there's a lot of things that that he was involved in so anyway um he just liked he liked the demos for the record and uh he got the split also outside the trocadero yeah. and he was like i gotta record these <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait so what did what did he do he didn't do he was uh he he produced the album let me let me just double check yeah produced by paul q Colberry, engineered by nick Zamp zampiello um, it was recorded from October 1st to October 30th in 2001. Wow. Crazy. That's, that's um, so cool. And the thing too about this was that, you know, Piebald went from doing Venetian blinds, which is like about as close as Piebald will ever intersect with like the, the, the budding 1996 era of like the emo boom of promise ring and brave right. and stuff like right. that. But they go from doing that record, which, you know, was like their first showing of polish, their first showing of, of class, you know, coming out of like a pure screamo era, like dogging it with Caden and shit like that. And it just, it, it only got better and better. And it, that shift in their sound is what ultimately got them to this point where they were just like, so fucking high off their own fumes in like the best way possible that they were like they started you know like this is the last in the era of old piebald right yeah and i'm, I'm holding up um rock revolution ep and then just 
ushering the dawning of a new era, as they say, with we are the only friends we have. And it, part of it had to do with where they were. Like, it, Paul Q. Okay, Paul Colderi is a phenomenal producer. And, you know, he, he brings a lot out of artists. But as they always say at the Gradwell house, you can't polish a turd. Mm-hmm. And, and Piebald was running so hot with themselves and like they were so locked and symbiotic and they wrote like the best fucking immediate poppiest songs of their career and they knocked it out of the fucking park this record is so fucking great it's my favorite record it's been my favorite record since i since i first found that cd at repo records mm-hmm. after getting that sampler disc falling in love with how fucking thick the booklet was they actually made the cd cases the 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 little tabs on the inside larger so that they could fit the actual cd booklets because they were there were so many pages to it and in fact on the cd version of this album if you flip to the back it has a list of all of the instruments used on the album and not even but you know where it's not it's not on this massive fucking poster that comes with that comes with the album on vinyl. Um, so yeah, like I love this album and I I've loved it in CD form. It lived. I bought it three times because I burnt through it, mm-hmm. um, and other times I would buy a new one just because the case got the other case got cracked in my car. Where like I ripped up, I accidentally like ripped up some of the of the lyric booklet as I was trying to force it back into the CD case that I would buy multiple copies because I always wanted to have the most pristine CD version of my most beloved album in my car at all times. And like, I'm on like my fourth (laughs) car now since I was a teenager at that age. Fuck. So I, Dan and I had talked about the record throughout the week and I this was not my piebald record. Like you know, when Life Hands You Lemons and Venetian Blinds were my those were my piebald records. And it wasn't until it occurred to me today, you know, when when they were playing this record, you know, what you know, what were they doing if they were doing a headlining show in Boston, they could do what? Two thousand people? You know what I mean? They were it, they were getting to a point where like yeah. your songwriting has to change to be accessible to your audience. Oh, this you is a I really mean? interesting point. Yeah. So if you well, think about if you think about um you know, even when life hands you lemons, I, I was talking to Dan today about the song um <clears throat> Fat and skinny asses. asses. Um, and I and I'm like, if you listen to that song, that that song is both old piebald and we are the only friends we we have. It's kind of like the transition in, song. In the same. There was yep. there then the song is cut in half. And it's incredible when you think about you know how they went from making you know, sort of unpolished punk adjacent music to making like rock records that were just, you know, could have been a massive rock record. Probably should have been a massive rock record. Did people, were there 
I mean, were there fucking hardcore purists that thought they sold out? Were you one of them? Yeah, were you of course. I mean, no, no, <laughs> I didn't even notice. I mean, that record came out on Big Wheel Wreck. How, how would that possibly be? Big <laughs> no, Wheel Wreck right. put well, out uh, I, to June. I, I mean, I yeah, imagine, no, right. I mean, obviously I didn't grow up in Boston in the, the late 90s, you know, but uh, I imagine people who, because you listened, all of their records are pretty, de- like, different. Wait, I mean, they, what do you, it what shows do you a progression. Are you, are you better than people that grew up in Boston? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <Just checking. laughs> but, you know what? You might... Yeah, <laughs> sorry I grew up in New Jersey. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Boston, who's listening to this, it, I didn't I mean to derail to your thought. It, it doesn't get better than Cambridge because I love them. So than much. New Jersey, I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, no. I mean, obviously, I went back and like listened to their whole discography during this week uh, to, to prep. That's just the kind of a uh, illustrious podcast host I am. But I honestly, I. This might be the only record I actually like of Piebald in a way that I visit often. Because for a long time, it was the only Piebald record I really knew. And even then, I kind of came in late in the game. So, I obviously knew these three songs. And then it kind of fell out to a sense where there was a time I couldn't really find this record through my you know illegal means of how I used to acquire music forever until I finally got like a Spotify account. And part of the reason I originally got Spotify was because I wanted to listen to We Are the Only Friends We Have again. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, take that for however you will. But I remember I could only find, for some reason, on like Soul Seek, Life Hands You Lemons. But right. I went back and listened to like the split they did with Cave In. And like that's yeah. a really fucking good split. Like the Cave In song on that is fucking rips. The Piebald song on it is like shockingly good. I. I- yeah, it's, I guess it's okay by Piebald and programmed behind by Caden. Yeah, yeah. And it both those, because both those bands, I mean, went in vastly different career directions, obviously. But, like, even from that song to what Caden did on, like, Jupiter and stuff beyond that, oh. you know, like, both of them went, like, and not, <laughs> no space puns, but, like, into the stratosphere of, like, what is possible of, like, that genre, you know? And, but I mean, I went back and listened to Life Hands You Lemons, and it didn't really click. Uh, I went and Crazy listened to. Talk. I went and listened to um, what's it called uh, if it weren't for Venetian blinds, and it's got some songs, but it 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 kind of for for me doesn't sound very cohesive. Crazy uh, talk. And then we're the only friends you have is like I think nostalgia pushes it a long way for me. But front to back is a great record. And then I, you know, the stuff after when they kind of really leaned into more piano, ballad, indie stuff, it, it again, I, I think I'm a ta- like pretty far removed from when it would have like really clicked for me. But this, this is what I describe as like, there was a very specific kind of music I listened to when I, I used to work in a, in a camera shop in like a basement of an office building. And, I could play whatever music I wanted, obviously, if it wasn't, like, you know, offensive or, you know, had cursing. If it wasn't or... the bullshit you played on your radio show. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And uh, so there was a lot of music I listened to that falls in the category of, like, alternative 
but inoffensive. So this record got a lot of play because it's poppy, it's catchy, it's fun, and it's it's great like music to have on that like keeps the day moving without listening to like top forty radio and I, it got a lot of play out of that. I, that's probably the same reason why I liked it so much too. And and at the the, the thing that I got to stress was that at that time that this album came out, I was transitioning from my very first punk band actually my second punk band called no order and jumping into uh what would become dirty larry the ska band it was dirty larry the three-piece punk band first and um you know like i was a ska kid like i really really was um and i and i don't say that ironically like you know i was i was like a very like well-schooled third wave ska kid and it took me a long time to come around to like second wave and stuff like that but anyway so when i found piebald you know it became this thing that was like it wasn't punk it wasn't ska um it wasn't like goldfinger it wasn't mxpx it was like this thing that made me feel like i was mature <laughs> i i felt like i was there's maturing. an irony there yeah <laughs> you've known me long enough but yeah so it felt like it felt like i felt like for the very first time i felt like i was being exposed to music that required a different headspace from me uh you know for me as an adult you know like a 37 year old adult i'm like yeah i like indie rock i like prefab sprout you know um but you know like the 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 seed of that the nebulous of that was we are the only friends we have and it opened up the floodgates for me. This is why it's my favorite record, not just because of how much I love the songs, but because what it did to me and what it what it started in me as a person. My like, I loved. I've always loved punk music. I've always loved DIY, ska, punk, emo. You know, it's the scenes. And but this was like the first time where I felt like I was getting something out of it that I could carry with. Um, and I could listen to it, whether it was nice out or shitty out, I could listen to it if I was happy or if I was sad, I could listen to it when I was driving endlessly through Mount Laurel, like late at night going down the Marlton Pike, um, you know, at two in the morning, just because I had just left the diner, you know, like it was just, man, I have so many fucking memories built around this record. and so, yeah, it's that's why I love it so much. Yeah, I I obviously was exposed to it uh, with the sampler, and I loved it. And I I'm sure this will come up multiple times, but I had a weird, very formative friendship with. Uh, do you guys know Nick Taza? Yeah, 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 like yeah. From the drummer from, of from every Aldemont. band before they got big, and then he quit. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what other bands he was in. Besides oh, he was in like he was Halfway in or Algernon. He was in Marigold. He was in. I knew him from being the drummer of a band, a new metal band called Here Tomorrow. Uh, and then he was in Ape Up and Hands. And as soon as they get Marigold. big, he does one tour. And then I said Marigold. And uh, I-, I used to work at like when I was like fifteen, sixteen years old. I used to work at this like grocery store in robbinsville and he worked in the same strip mall at radio shack (laughs) and 
I would go over there and he would just like tell me about music because he's like a few years older than me. And I remember like going to see him play in Algernon at like the Bordentown, like some Bordentown firehouse, uh, like way early on. And I had nothing. He, he like introduced me to minus the bear and stuff. And I had no frame of reference at the time of what Algernon sounded like in terms of like what references they were pulling from. And so I just like thought they sounded like minus the bear because their guitars were like clean tone, like twinkly sounds. <laughs> and it was it was so funny to like be a part of that, like way before I knew the context of like that kind of music. Uh, but yeah, I remember him telling me about Piebald and like showing me like their hardcore music when they were like on like pure volume or something like on a sample gateway computer in the in the fucking radio shack. It was wow. it was wild, but I I like didn't actually come to love this record until like maybe five years ago, because wow maybe maybe five or six years ago That's when awesome. it started on like heavy rotation again, and I'm like oh like obviously I had those memories of the three songs from the single, and why it was jarring to me to hear a different version of them later, um. But I didn't come to appreciate it until until like semi recently, and then when Holy we man. had to critically listen to it, I I felt like I might actually enjoy it slightly less if I if I should be so bold. Interesting. Yeah, I wow. mean, I didn't I didn't like it at all. Uh, I listened <laughs> to it when it first came out, and then largely didn't care about it until the past week. So, but now I'm sort of in. I, I, really? I think this is why I really I, love doing this podcast. I know we've only been doing it like technically for like two months in terms of like we've been banking episodes and now it's out out. But we there's been a couple revelations on these records of stuff we've listened to, stuff we didn't like, stuff we came to like more. It's been fun. It's a fun experiment. But so here's what here's what changed you a little bit. I'll tell you. If you think about if you think about a band's trajectory, right? Mm-hmm. So I used to, my thought before was the piebald I grew up with was the best piebald. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. the, you know, as I said before, Rock Revolution won't be televised to me was like, that's where that band peaked. Like that was the culmination, the aggregate of like the emo with like the, you know, straight up arena rock. Felt like that's where those two things came together. Yeah. And I just didn't think about how, you know, they they were a different band. You couldn't play those songs. Those songs sounded goofy in bigger venues. You know, you can't, you can't play vacuum or whatever that was from uh, sometimes friends fight. You can't play that in a large room, you know? Yeah. yeah. I really just do like resonate that, the same way that that argument you had of like as bands get bigger they write music that reflects the rooms they're playing right and I think that you know, and then there's always a record later because I the 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 one that came to me immediately was the Get Up Kids right okay. there's always a record later that you're like that's the record that they're making like that's who they are in this moment and like Man, I loved that um, what there are rules. Oh yeah, that yeah. record's fantastic. Like that record is unfucking real. Yeah. And it's it's never gonna get viewed as like one of the Get Up Kids masterpieces because it was just 
so beyond anything. I'm, like it was who those who their influences were. Well, I mean, when they were creating that record. Yeah, and I mean that that I think also speaks. I mean, now that we're talking about the Get Up Kids, uh, you know, when I remember when On a Wire came out and everyone like hated it. Because they're like, oh, this doesn't sound anything like an emo record anymore. This is like that's crazy. It sounds like the ultimate emo record because it has I Campfire know a ton Kansas of people who, who Damn. well, Campfire Kansas is incredible. There's some really good songs on that record, but it is a huge departure from something to write home about. You know, it's it's very yeah, like, much is it a rock record? I don't know, but uh, I know people who were like not like really not stoked on it when it came out. It didn't do well. So, I don't think. I uh, so get looking past um we are the only friends we have in the discography right because I had never listened to another song after this record um and I listened to both of the records that came after this and accidental gentleman is a great record yes it is like there are pop songs on that record it's very there's pop, for sure it's but it's not offensive pop it's self-aware pop it's it's such a great record it reminded and me I, kind and of I, I did like, not get to listen to any of travis's solo stuff this week i haven't but, listened to that either but yeah the accidental gentleman stuff sounded it reminded me of like socratic remember like piano yep. heavy pop punk so uh, that's like the drive through drive through actually marketed the Socratic album, people from the, I forget what it was called. Um, but the, that Socratic record, the marketing sticker on it said for fans of piebald and like, wow, something corporate That's or something wild. like that. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Socratic, another band I used to see at the Heightstown VFW all the time with like, you know, all those bands back in the day. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, was um, it Lunch, Lunch for the Sky was their big hit off that first record. Lunch for the Sky. That's it. I remember that there is this weird era of drive through where they were trying to still sign stuff that, you know, was kind of offbeat, you know, I like them starting as a ska label and putting out like Hollister records. But when they, they did, um, so they signed Socratic and steel train and Genoa. Genoa. I was just talking about. I was just talking. I do remember that band. I was just talking about Genoa with my barber today, (laughs) and I had I kind of forgot. And uh, I I wish we talked about it when Joe was on, but I don't think he was a part of Hello Goodbye at the time. But I remember Hello Goodbye, uh, Hello Goodbye, and Genoa. Um, they put out a sampler uh, for free. And I remember it was like such a big deal because drive the records were putting like giving away free music. And that was like kind of unheard of like digitally, you know? Yep. And it was like the first three like demo versions of hell goodbye from uh, like it was shimmy, shimmy quarter turn. Oh. Uh, it was like oh. my Bonnie lie, whatever. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't dear Jamie. What was the other one at the end of that record? But it was it was like three songs go, and go, then go to prom with Jesse. <laughs> I think it might have been prom with Jesse actually. Uh, yeah. And then and then there was like Genoa openly, which is the only one I remember, and a couple other songs. But I remember like getting that originally, and it was just like holy shit! I, it was free, so I listened to it all the time, you know. But that was uh, that was also part of the era of 
when they did Rushmore records, right? When they kind of had that second that was, imprint. Yeah, that was yeah, that was probably a year or two before Rushmore. What was um, the synth band that was their big Rushmore band? They used to be a ska band. Um, hold on. Oh my god, they had a song uh, Houston Calls. Yep. So Houston Calls used to be a ska band. Interesting. Called Face First. Oh no. They, so so Face First is a North Jersey ska band. I remember and that band. They're real fucking good, and they ended up becoming a synth pop band. Houston Calls. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah. It, damn. And then um. I mean, shit, man. Remember the prize fight? Oh, yeah. yeah. And so around this, so there was an other ska band from North Jersey who were really, really cool. They were called New Direction, meaning, okay. you, you know, yeah. you get the, get, get the Blink-182 <laughs> joke there. Um, but it was like, Direction was spelled with like an X in it. Anyway, they were fucking cool. And then like, they evolved into this kind of like drive through emo punk pop kind of sound the same thing that was going on with the prize fight the same thing that went on with face first before they just ditched horns all together and were like we have a synth yeah it's the same thing it's see it's the same thing though that the hippos did they got it well they didn't drop horns completely but they became like a synth the hippos friend of the pod danny ruckuson no shit yeah billy eilish's manager Wow. Danny Ruck. So I've talked to him, but I've never met him. Oh, but what a he, sweetheart. He was he was a trombone player yeah. in the band. Him and Rich Zanizer or Zanheiser. I, I I can't I can't remember the name now. But he but Rich also guested with RX Bandits as one of their touring um trombonists. Right. Yeah, Danny and I did a uh did a hello goodbye tour together. Wow. And, and Hanson. That's so great. <laughs> Did you also know that Ariel Rexshed, singer of the Hippos, is the guy who's responsible for producing Heim and like and, and Blood Orange that. or some other big fucking records. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. See, m- my favorite New Jersey ska band, the Sly Caps. Remember them? Mm-hmm. From, from MTV, like the first episode of like MTV's Made, I think it was. Damn. <laughs> the oh man. You see, what? this is this is actually like it, the name is vaguely familiar, but I don't, I can't recall a song. And that was actually kind of what going back to what y'all were talking about is like New Jersey as a scene. Had, Insane. You were like it was three three sections, and it was North Jersey. Central Jersey and South Jersey, and like South Jersey claimed Philly, North Jersey claimed New York, and Central Jersey was just kind of like this wild card, baby. Wild card, yeah. <laughs> oh, it man. is sort of the worst place on earth, but that's very untrue. I digress. Dave's <laughs> um, from Central Jersey. I'm from Central Jersey. Are you in Saves the Day? Yes. Well, that was a turn of events. <laughs> so, Robert. Yeah. So this record. So, when you think about, like, how old was Travis when he was doing this record? How when he made this? You know, record? I was actually curious about that. 
Um, because I was, I was actually thinking about this right before I was like, man, how old was Travis when this album was made? And, and how old, you know, where was I in my life right. when I was at the same age, when I realized that I would be at the same age as one of my songwriting items. Um, I don't think I can find it, but I'm okay. So I was thinking about it cause I didn't have the time to look it up and I was just like, well, how old do you think he was? What, you know, at what point in your life do you make decisions that, you know, will, will decide things for you, you know, the, the gravitas of, of age. And right. I think it's like, hear me out here. 29. Wow. 20. I, my guess is 29. But it might be younger. But like it's basically the, that pocket of your late twenties where you're still running high off the fumes that you're in your early twenties and fucking indestructible. But you know, it's like you're just like snowball effect. So we touched base on this with uh, with Joe Morrow last week, but you know something that he touched on about how. You know, a lot of people look at younger people's records, it, which in the case of Piebald, I look at, you know, When Life Hands You Lemons, and I think, you know, right. what, like, were they early 20s when they were making that record? Like, how do you how do you conceive of that record when you're, you know, at that age? You know, like, and it's just not having those filters that come with age. Yeah. You know, it's it's having your having your influences just like narrowed that much. I mean, because it felt like I got to a certain age and all of a sudden I was like, well, I guess I get I guess I like Fleetwood Mac now, which I do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. But there's a but there's a certain point where you're like, I'm 25. I'm not thinking about Fleetwood Mac. You know, I'm not. I, you know, I don't know, remember what I was listening to and yeah, we know when I was 25, but I'm sure it wasn't that I'm sure it was, you know, like I just didn't, my, my scope hadn't expanded to the point where, you know, I was, I was seeing wider influences and I'm wondering right. if that's why people's earlier records seem more like art than the ones that come after, you know, I think it's just that when I think it's just that when you're younger, I mean, fuck Captain Jazz is the perfect example. Sure. Like, 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 yeah, I can't fucking conceive of those songs. Oh, like as an adult, as a person who's been playing guitar for 30 years, like I can't fucking imagine writing those Captain Jazz songs. I think, I think that kind of, touches on what Joe Morrow talked about when we were talking about Oh Inverted World and like how stuff doesn't really line up and like the drummer doesn't really keep the right time all the you know it's not consistent and they didn't play to a click yep. and even he talked about when they talked about writing some early November records like yeah like these are records that we wrote not really knowing our instruments or not really knowing music from a technical standpoint and some stuff can only be done uh just out of you know impatience and youth and just fucking winging it because you have nothing to lose and then i think as you grow as a musician especially if you're touring full-time like all all your experiences exist in a in a van or in a bus 
or like in a 10 mile radius of whatever venue you're killing time at before sound check or between sound check and, and doors, like your, your whole periphery shifts. And it's kind of also like that old thing of like, you have your whole life to write your first record and you have like, you know, a year or two years to write your second, you know? And I think that colors a lot of people's influences. And, uh, you know, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, youth and just having nothing to lose and also like having no reference points, you know, cap and jazz is making a record of just like whatever the fuck they want. And, you know, a lot of bands making their first record or when they're young are them trying to sound like they're like all of their influences at once and just figure trying to figure it out as they go along. And then, you know, sometimes it creates you know, genius, you know? I mean, not, I'm by no, I by no means am genius and the songs that I write are by no means genius. I think I've only written five songs ever anyway, but like with, by surprise, you know, we were on a hot streak when we put out mountain smashers on top shelf. Such a good record. That was a great record. And, and, and it took us eight years, eight years to get, the follow-up out yeah because we because we put out mountain smashers at the time in our lives where we were in the middle of the process of becoming adults and um like because you know the first song that record is about like you know getting a job settling down you know having a mortgage <laughs> um and and it's and i feel like it's like when you're at that time in your life where you're in your mid mid to late twenties and you're just like, all right, I'm an adult. I'm not a young idiot, but I'm still reckless in my age. I'm going to go for something. Um, you know, like that's where Pieball was at. I think it's yeah. like, they were at this, they were at this, like the precipice, you know, it's like a base jumper looking over the edge and just being like, all right. And you just pop. You know, like, and I think that's it's lightning. It's lightning in a bottle, and I think the band yeah. attributes it, to it, it numerous times right. in interviews. Travis has always said, like, we we're just in the right place at the right time, with the right songs, in the right headspace, and yeah, we we knew we knew that something was spe- something special was going to happen with this record. We didn't quite know what, and it, I think what it did was it created two sets of piebald fans. It created, it was basically like watching a cell div- like multiply. Right. And then, and then basically what happened there was one thing went like this and imploded. And the other one, their old school fan base has stayed like this. You know, and I think that Piebald ultimately, I think, had a lot of Fairweather fans as a result. But what happened was with me, I became a Venn diagram fan. So like yeah. I really do I do have appreciation for the early stuff, um, but it's you know but I haven't listened to those records in like ten years, and so out of like my limited times my limited brain span I'm like well what am I going to save room for now right. yeah. I'm going to save room for that I'm going to save room for hits and that's the thing that I also take into account when I do my radio show it's like is the is the chorus awesome is there a hook to it that's cool or weird or interesting and every song on that album that piebald album is they're cool weird interesting 
exciting, dorky, like still leaning into that David Lee rock kind of energy. Like the, the, the album starts with a, with a, with a shredded lick. Like, I mean, it's like that, that intro to the album is like this most perfect fucking thesis statement. It's, and it's like, it's a musical thesis statement and it sets the tone in such a fucking great way. Yeah. It, oh it is, it's, it's an unbelievable oh. opener. But I'm going to cry. <laughs> it, <laughs> it also would make a great album closer. And that's kind of why it's so interesting. Oh my God. I, you're absolutely right. <laughs> well, because it's like it summarizes like what they're doing. Like it's almost like the band is breaking up, but it's them like theorizing, like projecting into the future of like what'll happen yeah. with them. You know, is it is it the intro? Is it the intro theme to a sitcom, or is it the closing the closing like sound the- to a Hollywood movie? Like yeah. roll credits. That's I mean that's so that's great. I never thought of. Thank you. I've never thought of <laughs> King of the Road like that. But yeah, it's it, but it's also about it's about them saying goodbye to their van. Okay. Here's but but what does the van symbolize? Their right? youth, man. <laughs> the van No, but that's it. The van the van, the death of Melvin, the, the school bus van, symbolized the end of the era of old piebald. It was right after Venetian blinds in Rock Revolution. I saying mean, saying goodbye to Melvin was saying like, "Well, thank you, thank you for getting us to this point. We're gonna go from here." Like, I don't want to fanboy too hard, but like, the first time I saw that van in person was huge. <laughs> it's like another member of the band. Wow. I was at a I was at a show in Arizona in Tempe. I was seeing Piebald. Not on tour, on definitely on tour for Venetian Blinds, um, with uh, Hot Rod Circuit, Race Car Riot. I I think, I think it was Race Car Riot. But Jim Adkins rode his beach cruiser up to the show. Hey guys, what's <laughs> going on? Insane. Well, oh my god. Wait, so, did you live? You lived out? Did you live? Yeah, out I West? lived in Tucson for a little bit. Wow. Okay, cool. So that makes sense. It's yeah, it's very interesting too because I remember Piebald in the gap between first hearing them and then later rediscovering them again. They were in. Do they remember the commercials for them talking about like having a vegetable oil powered van? I do remember that. I was. I mean, they they you, had like national commercials where they talked about like this is the era of like early early biodiesel. And they were the, yeah, they were the poster band of, uh, kind of like green vans before green vans was a thing. Uh, And I remember like seeing commercials about that and they're like, yeah, we're piebald and yeah, our van runs on vegetable oil and you know, we're doing our part. And it was, uh, wasn't that Kevin? Green Vance? No, Kevin. Yeah, wasn't uh, no, that, that was, Kevin DeKet? No, well, he might have been a part of it, but it's Andy Rice. Andy yeah. Rice. Yeah. Drummer for Defeater. Right. Also did play drums on a on a Hell Goodbye tour. Oh, did he? Fun story. Andy Rice yeah, is the best. He, He's so cool. He did a he did the Hell Goodbye tour when they were uh when they did arenas with uh, Paramore and Metric. Oh, that's so cool. I have one. 
to tie it all together, um, the one time I hung out with Andy, Andy right, Re- Andy Reese or Rice, 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 I believe. Andy. So, so my very first time hanging out with Andy Rice, and only time was me, Chase Allen, and Kevin Duquette. We picked up Kevin Duquette on the way and drove up to Maine for a Memorial Day weekend at Andy's parents' house on the coast of Maine. Amazing. Granted, they, it's their retirement. And you know, it's you and, don't have to justify so the family's money. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Like some people just got rich parents. It's okay. So, so anyway, but we had the most amazing time, and Maine is a huge part of who I am. Like you know, like I have like fucking you know a lobster on my wall, and I have like a fucking, get more rain than that. And I have a fucking license plate, and I, you know, like I just proposed to my fiance there. So it's like Maine is so beautiful, and I so I always think about Andy Rice every time I drive up to Maine into that area where my grandma used to live. Like I always think about, oh, I had one of the best weekends ever of my life at, down that road with I someone that. that I haven't seen since. <laughs> I also weirdly met up with chase and kevin in maine once now that i'm thinking about it we had lobster rolls in what was that town oh was it was it it red's eats and was casted on the side of the road no it was someplace that i had been many times since not portland but whatever it was I met up with those weirdos and it was like such a wild thing. <laughs> the um we, we we should start wrapping up in a bit for sure. I want I want to bring back to to by surprise for a moment. Uh sure. Rob, I remember seeing you play the I think it was the 2012 Top Shelf CMJ at Suburbia. Yep. And hearing you guys play uh Books by Thoreau and just like everyone singing the gang vocal like part. I mean it's not it's yeah. gang vocals in the sense that everyone in the band is singing, but uh hearing the whole room do that was fucking unbelievable. And that I was really can't good. even re- remember it. That's I didn't even know that people were singing along. I thought that oh, we yeah. were like I thought that we were like the runt of the litter. Oh, with, I mean top shelf always. Y- you were probably very busy doing all the fucking hammer-ons and that's <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah it it was a cool experience for sure and then uh and then yeah i have those great pictures of you fucking shredding like with with fucking richie in the background <laughs> you're playing a silent guitar to to an audience of no one right now it's great um i can't i don't remember how to play books by brother there we go oh no oh man <laughs> I'm impressed. Uh, I mean, there we go. My but, favorite by surprise moment was by surprise direct support for uh, Archers of Loaf at the Trocadero. Amazing. Well, I, I, I remember that, that show. I didn't get to go, huge. but I remember that was like a big fucking deal. Jesus um, Christ, that was one of the best nights of my life. Man, we, Eric we, Bachman is an absolute monster. He He ended up signing our posters after the show. And when we finished our set, Mark Price and Matt Gentling were on the side of the stage fist pumping and being like, that was awesome. That's and, but, you know, but similar though, you know who the other big band was that, um, actually, by, by Surprise has opened up for three big bands. We opened up for 
Archers of Loaf. We opened up for Motion City Soundtrack. And we fucking opened up at the Trocadero for Piebald. Wow. Wow. And, Holy shit. And <laughs> cut. <laughs> no, that's fucking incredible. I mean, I honestly, Rob, we'll have to have you back on again uh, because we could talk for fucking days. I know. But uh, I think that's a great place to kind of to kind of nip it in the bud for sure. Uh, fucking awesome. That, cool. that fucking Thanks. rips. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, just to just to say it before yeah. this is over, I I owe so much. I owe so much to that album, and it is a debt that I have tried to repay. <laughs> you know, it, and and you know, like I've told Travis a couple times what it means to me. Um. I've I did a podcast about th- this album once before with friend Adam years ago, and like um, this is a record that I will talk about until I'm through in the face because I just can I can just sit, tell so many stories that connect to my love for this band. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to just even catch up about anything. Oh no, I mean it's it's this. it's it's amazing to hear someone talk about a record. I mean that's the whole point of the podcast is to hear people talk about a record that they're passionate about and you know you can't get more passionate about uh this record for you for sure it's been fucking awesome uh one last thing Thank i want to bring up since we were talking about melvin the the famous tour bus van uh did any of you guys have a fun name for either of your uh touring conveyances yes go on Oh, so we had two vans. <laughs> okay. Our first van was a conversion van that had holes in the sides that Amazing. were Speed just holes. rusted straight through. So we could the smokers could sit in the back and just like put the cigarette out through <laughs> the rust holes. Um we bought that from a South Jersey band uh called My Turn to Win. Um they named it the Road Virus. We kept it called the Road Virus. It was the worst van and the best van. Man, what a time. And nice. then we had a van that was blue on the bottom with a white top. I don't think we ever named that thing. But that was That's uh it said like yeah. it said like four seasons uh total landscaping down the side. It was insane. <laughs> That's awesome. The um by surprise, something you may not know. By surprise, has only ever played in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, and Delaware, and, and New York, New York, and New York, and we have never, we have and never Ohio, toured. and Indiana, and no, Michigan. No, no, never, never, never. No, no. I'm just, just saying. Maybe like, just rattled off like 48 states. I know, right? <laughs> um, only in the Vir- the Virgin Islands, um, <laughs> the Little Saint James. So, but anyway, so because by surprise, never toured beyond Massachusetts, Delaware, New York, Pennsylvania, Jersey, where we're from. We never needed, nor ever had a tour vehicle. Not only that, we never ever once drove to a show together in the same car 
Oh, wow. Except for except for maybe like like in terms of the out of no no I guess just never because no matter what we needed two cars to transport our gear at all times and so that meant that Dan would have the SUV and I'd have right. my sedan or Pat would have his van with like one or one person or two people but it was never the four of us in the same car at the same time and that always that always kind of bugs me but yeah. but it but you know that was us and and that is still us yeah yeah whenever we ever play a show actually we're about to announce something Ooh. um yeah yeah i i how soon is this podcast coming out uh it'll probably come out this next tuesday okay so um then i don't want to spoil it per se but i'll just i won't say the the label but um because that's where the, the fun part comes in also, but we are going to be doing an anniversary edition, like a 10 year anniversary, late edition, like 15 year anniversary, 17, I no 11, 12. Anyway, mountain smashers, uh, reissue Ooh, with, nice. with, with, um, eight, eight of the 10 songs or eight of the 11 songs as demos original recordings of these songs the ones that we would show each other to be like hey i just wrote this song what do you think and it would be like us playing with like acoustic guitars and then like maybe like two songs that we did with like you know like double tracks or four tracks um and yeah so that's I love uh, that. run to yeah. the ground exclusive i love but, it but you're not gonna tell us yet who's doing it uh no whatever fuck it uh sludge people is doing it it's a cassette only it's a cassette only and it's gonna i'm pretty sure it's gonna have a, a an ob card over the jewel case as well with like our old t-shirt design with the uh from mostly harmless where it's like you know corner of the cob roses artichokes lettuce with like the crest on it um, amazing I love yeah that. yeah um, it's and brian meets uh you know <laughs> what's the term now remastered artwork from original <laughs> album artist brian meets he's and and dave downham mixed it you know like and he's worked with us for everything like yeah that's awesome we'll have to we'll have to find a reason to have you come back on just so we can talk about the diner state collective well fun. we'll definitely have you let's, back uh, on. let's do it again yeah. Cool. Uh, so Thanks, guys. Ba- back to the van thing <laughs> real quick. Uh, I my band never had a uh, a van because same deal. We all kind of like only toured in like the tri-state region and not for more than like a one or two off. Um, but I do have I did have a van named after me, which is a unique van. Bas- van, van Bassini. Van Bassini was the original. The world is a beautiful place van. That oh had like God. an actual CRT TV mounted perpendicular to the driver, so we could like it had like a very old rudimentary backup camera, and uh, yeah, it had Van Bassini written in Sharpie on the door. <laughs> uh, so that that's my claim to fame. But um, I know uh, you kind of just got in the plugs, but Rob, uh, feel free to plug anything else you want. Sure. Where can people um, find you? Sure. They can find me at... Uh, they can find uh, me on the radio with 
uh, WILXradio.org. Uh, we're a community radio station in upstate New York in the Catskills. I host a new music program called Peak Awareness that runs uh, Sundays from noon to two. Um, my 50th episode will be this month. And um, by surprise is by surprise band on all the platforms, the socials, whatever. Um, we'll be announcing that cassette reissue soon. And then uh, hopefully we'll play like another show someday, ever, if ever. I don't know. Um, and yeah, uh, Polyvinyl Record Company, polyvinylrecords.com. Um, we have some really amazing stuff out right now. A band called Mama, uh, the new Oceanator record, the new Pedro the Line record, Charlotte Cornfield. Um, a lot of cool stuff. Man on Man happening on the man on man record so much fun it's unreal um first band i've ever signed uh, awesome and i don't know it might be the only band i ever signed but i'm <laughs> glad it could be man on man and um and yeah and that's pretty much everything oh and we I have, should have um, th- we should get them on the pod we try we try get roddy bottom get joey in here oh my god and uh and everyone Joey's, else can Joey's find emo. you po- uh Hey, Rob Wilcox on everything else, right? Yeah, yeah. My socials are private these days. But oh. hey. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but no, and also on Instagram. But yeah, you can find me at Hey Rob Wilcox. But you can also find me at Gibson Marauder Fans. I just started oh, yeah. a nerd. I just started a nerd account for this guitar uh, called the Gibson Marauder. They were produced in the 1970s by Gibson. Amazing. And his most uh in the indie rock world it's the same guitar that mac from super chunk plays oh classic um, yeah so this, Gibson this is... marauder fans on <laughs> rob you've been the most dynamic guest in the sense that you haven't sat down for more than like 15 minutes at a clip before you're like <laughs> running across the room to show us something and i love it hey, uh, uh have i changed no i love have it I so changed? much yeah and, I, and don't we, ever we should just have a weekly zoom because i miss you <laughs> mm. andrew uh where can people find you uh, at Andrew every day on Twitter. It's where I do the bulk of my masterpiece. Uh, and then my Pro called life on Instagram. Also, you know, I think that run into the ground Instagram starting to pop off too. starting to pop off. Uh, you can follow me at Dan Bassini on Twitter and Instagram, danbassini.com. I'm currently making selects and, uh, starting the preliminary process of creating no invite volume eight. Uh, you Oh can- my God. I know it's crazy, right? That's so amazing. You're you're <laughs> picking them off like every you always post a photo. I'm just like that that fucker. How did he do this? <laughs> I how appreciate did he, it. How did he do it? Like, how do artists create? And it's and it's like your your photography of catching celebrities. It's like it's art. It really is. And <laughs> well, it's, thank and you. it's like it's not. Yeah, I'm. Um, in favor of it. If Polyvinyl wants to saw, uh, sign their first photographer, I'll, I'll gladly <laughs> be a pioneer uh, for them. Uh, but yeah, oh, man, no invite volume eight uh, in in the works. You can buy the previous uh, seven volumes and and a couple of other my photo books and and prints on my store damascini.com. Yeah, Rob, I think uh, I think that about wraps it up. Thank you so much for being here. It was a fucking pleasure, a blast. Hope you had yeah, a good time. I had a, I had a, I had a fantastic time. Thank you so much. This oh, has been I great. Love.
Bye. Bye.